Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, it's good seeing you. As you can tell, I've got uh, some voice issues. I lost my voice two weeks ago, and um, <clears throat> so it's it's uh, it's something that just I don't know why it happens. But anyway, um, I did a wedding last Sunday in Charleston at the Citadel, and you know I was just whispering at that point, so I felt sorry for them. But at the end of the day, they're they're married, so that's all that matters. So have you noticed the new cross on the building out there? I hope you have. If you haven't been by at night, you need to drive by at night because it's lit up uh, from behind and it just kind of pops. And I like the way it looks. But uh, Mark Counts in our church, he's the one that made the cross. And then uh, Jeremy and, and Scott Streetman, they're the ones that made it all happen to get it up there and centered right. So I just appreciate their hard work. Next Wednesday, next Sunday night at six o'clock in here, we're going to have a worship night and we're going to have a prayer night. Uh, it's going to be very special. And I hope you just make plans for that. And the, the reason we're doing that, you know, for the, for this past month, we've been getting ready for October the 31st when Clayton King and Mac are here with us. And, uh, We've got to prepare ourselves spiritually, and that's why we've been preaching through this sermon series. That's why I had Dr. Bill Jones to uh, share last week, and I hope you were really encouraged by those three men that he brought and hearing their stories and how one affects one, how it affects another, and and um, you were seeing like three generations of Christians there. Uh, so it's really cool uh, to see that, and um, but. Um, there's two sides. I, you know, as I'm thinking about my voice, there are two sides to this equation. One is the physical. And so I do what I'm supposed to do. I've been seeing a ENT for 20 some years uh, because, you know, I was preaching three times on Sunday. I was preaching every Thursday. I was traveling all over the world preaching. And I just needed to take care of the instrument that God gave me. And so that's my voice. And so the, you know, I have a very skilled ENT that just has kind of taken care of me and watched over me. So <clears throat> after the first series of antibiotics didn't work, I finally went to see him and uh, he said, yeah, he said, I'm going to put you on some really powerful stuff. And he said, you, you got to really be careful with this. And you, you know, I said, oh, okay. And uh, be sure to read the side effects, you know, like one, you might faint. And I thought, what are you giving me? And, you know, so he said, we're going to knock this thing out. And then he put me on steroids and he said, Hey, by the way, as I was walking out, he said, all this medicine I'm giving you, you're not going to be able to sleep at night. I said, great. Thanks for sharing that because now my brain is going to make sure that comes true. You know, it's kind of like you, your brain starts saying, Hey, you're not supposed to be able to sleep. So I, your brain keeps you awake. It's crazy how it works like that. <clears throat> but so that's the physical side. And, uh, so the steroids, I can already tell a difference with the medicine. So continue to pray. And, but there's a spiritual side and a spiritual equation to this. And I see it as a distraction because these are some of the most important messages we're talking about to prepare for one particular Sunday. 
And it would be easy to be so distracted by, um, you know, an illness and trying to figure out what that's going. So physically, it's tough, but spiritually, it gets me excited. And here's what I mean by that. Satan doesn't mess with you when you're not messing with his plan. And his plan is to keep people away from Jesus. And his plan for believers is to keep you from um, fulfilling God's purpose and plan for your life. So when you're not doing those two things, keep, you know, not involved in helping people come to know Jesus, and you're not worrying about God's purpose and plan for your life, Satan doesn't mess with you. He doesn't, he's not going to spend time on you. And so I see that when, as, whenever there's some spiritual things that are really going to happen, so it gets me excited because I see the spiritual side of this and the battle that's happened. And Satan always, always goes after leaders. So what you didn't know was a week ago, um, Clayton texted me. He said, hey, I'm getting ready to go into emergency surgery. And he had appendicitis. And when the surgeon opened him up, his appendix immediately burst. And so there was like poison going all over his system. And, and uh, so he went, all, you know, after he recovered and he went home, he, he texted me. He said, I'm going through the worst pain I've ever been in my life. And, uh, and so he had to go back in the hospital. And so he's just now recovering. And I, I finally decided to be a better friend than the pastor of Gateway and just say, hey, do we need to cancel October 31st? And he said, absolutely not. He said, I'm trusting Jesus. This is going to be a great, because I'd been telling him all the things we're doing to prepare. And when I was telling him about our solemn assembly, our worship night, to pray for the people that we're going to be inviting. <clears throat> and he got excited about that. And, and so we, we are here to fulfill a plan that God has for us. And Satan won't sit back and he will attack. Whenever you get serious about Jesus, Satan's going to throw stumbling blocks. And so don't, instead of seeing that uh, like God owes you something, just see it as, well, I must be doing something that's getting his attention or getting Satan's attention. So I want us to talk about in getting prepared for this, what it really means to be a part of a local church and how God has called us to be a, a great church. And I'm not talking about money or buildings or numbers. I'm talking about strictly from a spiritual standpoint. See, when we truly worship God, it always leads to service because what you worship is what you're going to serve. And if you're not serving the Lord as a believer, then you're worshiping something else. I mean, when you look at what you spend most of your resources on, what you spend most of your time doing, what you get most passionate about, then that's what you wind up serving and that's what you're really worshiping. So we're challenged by this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It talks about how worship in verse 3 through 8 leads to serving. So let's just kind of break down Romans 12 as we walk through that today. And uh, it starts off by saying, and so, and some of your translations say, therefore, 
That's kind of like Paul was saying, after, if you really believe all the truth I just told you in Romans 1 through 11, then this is what it's going to look like when you live it out. So Romans 12 is the so what about chapters 1 through 11. It's the therefore. It's uh, because of this. If all this stuff is true that I've just been telling you, then this is the result. This is, what is not, this is what needs to happen. So maybe you need to go back and study chapters 1 through 11. And then you can see even more so what Paul's saying. So let's get to 12. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, that's all of us who are believers, I plead. I mean, he's emphatic about this. I plead with you. Don't miss this. If you miss this, you've missed it. I plead with you to give your bodies, plural, to God. So he says to all of us, to give your bodies, plural, which um, he says he's he's talking to the whole church. Because of, and here's why. Here's the motivation. Because of all he has done for you. Now, what has God done for you? Well, he forgave you of your sins. He's made it so that you don't have to go to hell to pay for your sins. He's guaranteed you permanent resident in heaven with him for all eternity. And because of that, if that's not enough, because of that, we should truly listen to what Paul is saying. To give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them, the bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice. So that's singular. So what does that mean? Why? Everything else is plural. Now all of a sudden it's a singular word. And we're going to talk about that. Don't copy. So here's how you do it. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. As have you been watching what's happening in the world and in our country? I mean, it's, I mean, it's amazing the things that are happening and the value systems that are being thrown out the door. And, and if I was copying the customs of the world, then when I preach to you, I would have to use, I should use a lot of words that I'm not allowed to use. I mean, that's what the world does. It's amazing how we've just, we've taken some nasty, horrible words and just made it part of our vocabulary, everyday language. And, um, it's, and, and I, and so no, I don't copy that, but you know what? I've heard some preachers that do. I've listened to some preachers who use curse words, not in a theological sense. And I was like, what are you doing You're becoming like the world, and we're told not to copy that. And so instead, he says, instead of this, instead of copying the world, let God transform you into a new person. And the way he does that is by changing the way you think. Then, after you do that, after you change the way you think, allow God to make you a new person, Stop trying to be like the world or worrying about what the world thinks about things. He's saying, instead of looking in the mirror, trying to appear like the world and worrying about fashion and hot, all this stuff, 
he's saying, look in the Bible, use the Bible as your mirror and start allowing your heart to be what God wants you to be and what he thinks. So the way I change the way I think is by start focusing on what God thinks. And then listen to what he says. Then, when I do all this, then you will learn and know God's will for you. So if you ever want to know what God's will is for you, there's the formula. This, these first two verses, that's the formula. And he says his will is actually good and pleasing and perfect. So the opposite of that is to follow my will for my life, which is not good, is not pleasing, and is not perfect in God's eyes. It might be in the world's eyes, but not in God's eyes. And let's face it, that's what matters, right? So, accepting Christ's truth should leave us, lead us to living a Christ life. Now, this living sacrifice, you know, that's intentionally a paradox. I, that's always bothered me. What does that mean, being a living sacrifice? How can you be a living sacrifice? Because sacrifice implies death. I mean, when you sacrifice something, it was put to death. And, and so it was that. And so how can I be a living sacrifice? It's, it's a paradox. It doesn't seem to go together. So to be a living sacrifice means you die to yourself over and over and over again. Jesus said, actually, every day. Every day I wake up, I have to make an intentional decision that I'm, I'm not going to make it about me today. It's not going to be about me. I'm dying to that selfishness. So to put to death, here, here's the biggest thing you need to put to death. The idea as a Christian now that your life is your own and that you have the right to do as you choose. That's what you're putting to death as a believer. You say, hey, when I accepted Jesus, I gave him the deed to my life. He, he owns me and he calls the shots. So when I die to myself, it's not about, this is not my life any longer. Jesus purchased my life with his blood. And so I don't have the right I mean, I was a Christian for six years before I ever said to God or asked God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I remember specifically the date, the time and the place. And, and I just was frustrated about things. Things weren't working out the way I had planned them to work out. And I finally said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And God said, you know, that's the first time you ever asked me that. I'm sitting there going, that probably stinks. And once he told me, because he, he wants you to know, and so he told me. And man, it's, it's been great. Not, not void of problems, because again, remember the spiritual warfare part. So the church is actually a partnership 
when he said the plural of the sacrifices, um, I mean, the, the plural of the bodies and the plural of the brothers and the sisters, the sacrifice is singular because we aren't all out there making, we're out there making individual sacrifices and the church is a partnership of multiple people making one sacrifice together. So you see, we as a church don't make a sacrifice. You as an individual makes that sacrifice of your life And we do that, and so when we do that individually, collectively, we become the body, singular, I mean plural. We're the body of Christ. But in in order to be a part of the body of Christ, you first of all, you pray to receive Christ, but then to really be a part of the body of Christ, you give up ownership of your life. Let's look at Romans uh, 12, three. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Now, so here's the warning. After what I just told you, I got to tell you some warning here. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Just don't do it. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. And here's what, you know, it depends on what measuring stick you use. You can always find somebody else that makes you look better. And you can always find somebody else that makes you look worse. Always. But that shouldn't be the measuring stick. Here here it is. Measuring yourself by the faith God has given to you. Well, when did he give me faith? Well, when you pray to receive Christ, because the Bible says, unless the Holy Spirit draws you to Christ, you can't be saved. Jesus is the author of faith. He's the finisher of faith. So what's the faith you really have in you is his faith. Now you can have some of your own faith, but it will not sustain you. Christ's faith planted in you, that's what will last. And so it's okay and appropriate to say, Jesus, right now I'm struggling with my faith. I want to get rid of it. I want to live by your faith. That's the faith I want to live by. And so he is saying, you measure yourself by Jesus and by God's word. That's what you measure yourself by. That's the only one that matters. So just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, singular. We are many parts of one body, and this is key, and we all belong to each other. So we're a church, and we become a greater church when we recognize and understand our individual part, our individual gifting, our individuality. And we bring that and our giftedness and we bring that to the body by our individual sacrifice daily. And then that's what makes us a greater church. 
is when each of us do our individual part as part of the family. See, Romans 12, 4, a greater church is a diverse church. And uh, Romans 12, 5, a greater church is a humble church. So how, how do many become one? How do a couple of thousand people in this church become one? Well, there are two keys to that, two paths to that, humility and diversity. Each person that comes a part of our fellowship adds to the layers of diversity and humility. So that grows us in the right way, the spiritual way. Every time somebody comes and is a part of our fellowship, we're adding another layer of humility and diversity. And that's great. Look, let's look at Romans 12, 6 and 8. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So each of you have that spiritual gift. And if you're a believer, you ought to know what your spiritual gift is. And it's easy to find out if you don't. And we'll help you with that. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. There again, it's not your faith, it's the faith that God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well, take it serious. If, if your gift is encouraging others, encourage, be encouraging. It is giving, if it's giving, give generously. Now, there is a spiritual gift of giving. All believers are called to give a portion. But then God has given some people the spiritual gift of giving and they give beyond that portion. And that's if they have that spiritual gift. And others, we're not obligated to, but we could. Um, but that's, that's a special spiritual gift. And if God has given you leadership ability, uh, like this, take your responsibility seriously. And why is that? Because you're impacting other people's lives. Every word I speak from this stage, I take it very, very serious. I mean, I'm always reading this. I'm always studying. Even when I, I mean, I've got my sermons done weeks in ahead, but even, you know, sitting back in the green room, I'm still going through my notes, making changes because I want to be as effective as possible because I take it serious. And the reason I take it serious is the Bible tells me to. And it says that if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. <clears throat> now here's a key. Nowhere in there do you see the phrase or a footnote only if they deserve it. No, you don't practice kindness or goodness or encouraging to just people who deserve it. You practice it to everybody. We're all, to, we're all called to give out of our spiritual gifts. So here's the key. What you worship is what you will serve. A greater church, you know, a living sacrifice is to die to yourself over and over and over again every day. A greater church is a diverse church. 
A greater church is a humble church. I mean, because humility strips away selfishness that we think it's all about us and what I want. And uh, when you come and you say, I want the church to do this, I want the church to do this, I'm sorry, it's not about you. It's about what God wants. It's not about me. It's what God wants. So true humility, I mean, humility always strips away selfishness. True humility is realizing, listen to this, that God doesn't owe you anything. There's some subtle theological belief that is not biblical that thinks I'm a Christian, God owes me a good life. God owes me some favors. I'm using my spiritual gifts. God needs to come through for me. The reality is God doesn't owe us a thing. I mean, when Adam and Eve had their major foul up and you and I have lived with that, that con, if you really want to know who messed things up, it's, you go back to them. And I, some reason I'm thinking in my brain, when we get to heaven, God's going to have a whole legion of angels protecting them. I don't know. <laughs> but God could have right at that moment said, forget man. I'm going to turn my back on that. I'm going to have my eternal kingdom. I'm going to leave them to themselves. I'm going to forget man. I'm going to forget the earth. I'm telling you, you and I wouldn't be here today if God had done that. The earth would have destroyed itself long, long ago. There would be nothing but chaos and anarchy. So God doesn't owe us anything. Pride is the opposite of humility. Humility is dependence on God. Humility is putting others first. Pride is the dependence on yourself. And pride is putting yourself first. Romans 12, three again, don't think you're better than you really are. So humble people are not selfish. And selfish people are not humble. It's impossible. Galatians 6.3 says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Man, what a kind of a kick in the gut right there. Yes, you're important to God. That's why Jesus died for you. God loves you passionately. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he's telling me, look, when you think you're better than somebody else and you're too good to help somebody, you're just kidding yourself. You're not that important. Your spiritual gifts are only productive if they're operated out of humility. I mean, if every time you do good and you want to blast it everywhere for everybody to come pat you on the back? Listen, keep your, do, your good deed. I mean, it's okay to share with close friends, say, hey, God gave me the opportunity to do something. And it was, I mean, that's fine. You know, you can always brag on God and what the Holy Spirit told you to do. That's great. But don't sit around waiting to get the celebration of the, of the world 
for you doing what you're supposed to be doing, but rather celebrate that you've pleased holy God. It doesn't get any better than that. So your spiritual gifts are only productive if they're running on humility. And no one is exempt from humility in the church. That's why Romans 12, 3 says everyone. So logical question. How do you strip away selfishness? Because we're, we're selfish. We were born selfish. I mean, when you were a baby, you were selfish. You wanted your diapers changed when you wanted them changed. You wanted to be fed when you wanted to be fed. You wanted to cry whenever you want to. You wanted to get up when you wanted to. You want to sleep when you want to. If it was three o'clock in the morning, I mean, we got a new puppy in the house and it got up at two o'clock. It got up at four o'clock. Of course, it didn't bother me because I couldn't sleep because I convinced myself the doctor was right about the drugs. And, uh, but then you grow out of that and, and you get older and then you get near the end of your life. And guess what? You want your diapers changed when you want them changed and you want to eat when you want to eat and you want to sleep when you want to, I mean, you go back where you started. So how do we strip away this selfishness? Well, humility begins with grace. And grace, listen to this, is unmerited favor from an unobligated God. That's grace. You don't deserve it, and He's not obligated to give it to you, but He does. That's grace. Another way you strip away selfishness is humility continues with true self-awareness. And true self-awareness can only be found when you compare yourself to what scripture says, not what the world says. The world can give you awards and the world can pat you on the back and the world can say you're doing great. And you go to God's word and you find out, no, I'm really being dumb. I am far from God's plan. I'm not doing what he wants me to do. Romans 12, 4, the third thing I can do to strip away selfishness is selfless individuals become unified. You really want to unify this church? The best way to unify the size of our church is when we become selfless. That's where we're unified. Not when we each get our own way, because that never works, right? The last thing you can do is this unity is in Christ. That's where it begins. And it ends in grace. And God keeps giving you grace. So selfish people, self, I'm sorry, selfless people are self-aware people. They don't overestimate, they don't underestimate themselves. Don't ever apologize for the spiritual gifts God's given you. Don't apologize for that, be thankful. Just don't sit around wanting to get credit by people. Romans 12, three again. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given you, so it's all based on him. And the more diverse we are as a church, the more gifted the church is, the more we get to do for God's kingdom. And, and if we wanna be a spiritually gifted church, 
then we should also seek to be a diverse church. And when I say diversity, I mean, that's a long list. Ethnic diversity, social economic diversity, various degrees of spiritual maturity. We need brand new believers. We need mature believers. I'm not talking about age here. It's, you know, the level of your maturity spiritually. We need people who are just seeking Christ so that they have a safe place to examine the claims of Christ. Um, and we need all generations, all generations. And um, we need those who grew up in our community. We also need those who didn't. In fact, the majority of our church didn't grow up in this community. Your, your diversity comes from personal history and your experiences. You each bring something to the table that somebody else doesn't quite have and that's needed. I mean, that's why I like diversity in our staff. When we sit around and talk about things, each one brings something different to the table. And I like that. I don't want them to be yes men and just agree with everything I say. I want them to say, well, pastor, have you thought about this? I say, no, I haven't. That's a good thought. And, or maybe, maybe your idea is not the best. And, um, so, you know, maybe we ought to think about this and, or maybe we ought to, I mean, I, I love that. I like what we do and how we do that. So being a Christ follower is more than just living a good life. It really is. There are plenty of good moral people who are generous, charitable, and they help others, but they're not Christ followers. There are a lot of people like that. I know people like that. We should do those things too. But here's where it's different. Christianity is also the why we live a good life. It's the reason we seek to live a good life. Non-believers don't have that. Hebrews 10.10. For God's will was for us to be made holy, which you cannot do on your own, by the sacrifice of the body of Christ Jesus. Only he could do that. Once for all time. So the means by which you are holy has already been done. And now... You have to choose to die to yourself over and over and over and over again so that you can live in that holiness that Jesus has given to you. So since we believe this, then let's do it. Let's reach anyone and let's reach everyone. But I want to tell you, I want you to really think about inviting your one. 80% of the people who come to church for the first time came because somebody invited them. Somebody invited them. I've had people, some of you tell me, you know, I finally invited that friend to come to church. And they actually said to me, I've been waiting for you to invite me. And then they just like kicking themselves. Like, why did I wait so long? It's because we're afraid sometimes. So invite that one. In fact, when you leave out on the foyer, we've got these little in invitation cards. It just has the October 31st information. And, you know, here, here's my suggestion to you. And that person that God's put on your heart, just go up to him and just say, hey, we're having a special day at church. And we're having a great preacher coming in 
and we got a great musician coming in, and I just want you to come and go with me. I tell you what, after church, I want to take you to lunch. And it'll be my treat. No, nobody's going to turn down that. But here's the deal. What's the worst thing they can say? No, I can't. No, I'm, not, I'm really not interested. <clears throat> or may they say, I don't, want to, I don't want you to ask me again. Okay. But the vast majority will say, hey, I think I'd like to do that. Now, I'm not talking about getting somebody to come from another church. We don't need that. We need people who are seeking. Because the answer <coughs> is what we have. You know, um, 100 years ago, they were building a great cathedral in Europe. <coughs> you know, they built a all over the place. And uh, so a local newspaper reporter decided to, in the middle of the building project, decided to um, go and interview the workers, just do a story. So he was walking around the cathedral and he found the guy who was making the stained glass windows. So a great artist. He said, so tell me what you're doing. He says, well, I make the stained glass windows. I draw out a design. I choose different color uh, pieces of glass. I piece them together to make a beautiful array for when the sun shines through it. <clears throat> then we also have uh, figures and I design the figures. So I, I have to paint some of those, but uh, I have to piece all this together. It's a painstaking work. It takes a lot of time and, and, that's, and I'm an artist and that's what I do. So then he went to the marble cutter, the guy sitting there cutting marble. He says, tell me what you're doing. He said, well, I'm the marble guy, so I have to go to the mines and choose the right big pieces of marble, get, it, get a slab cut, and I cut out pieces that we can use. I bring it back here and I start chiseling on it to make it into the figures we want it to have uh, in, the, in the cathedral. And it's painstaking, it's a lot of work. I'm an artist, this is what I do. And then he went to the wood craftsman and he said, well, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going, I go to the forest. I find the best timbers I can find and I have it cut. And then I cut out pieces from that. And then I have, I draw, make drawings and then I start chiseling out, piecing together so that we can have all the woodwork inside and the altar and all that stuff. And as he was leaving, he saw this guy who just had a wheelbarrow full of bricks so he had one of the lowest jobs in the building con construction, and that was to be a brick runner. He said, well, I'll, I'll ask him too. Yeah, he obviously doesn't, anybody can do what he's doing. So he went over to him, he said, well, tell me, tell me what you do. He said, tell me what you're doing. And he was expecting him to say, well, I just take bricks from this pile to this pile and get them to the guys that need them. But that's not what he said. He just looked at the guy. He said, well, I'm helping to build a glorious cathedral for God's glory. And the reporter realized he's the only guy that gets it. All the others was about them. And he said, here's this lowest guy here and he gets it. He's building a cathedral by running bricks. You know, um, 
If somebody were to ask you, what's your job at church? And you could say a lot of things. Well, I teach a class and I do this and I volunteer for this. What I'd love for you to say is why I'm helping to build God's kingdom. I might just rock the babies in the nursery, but I'm helping to build God's kingdom. I'm helping to increase the number of residents in heaven. That's what I'm doing. That changes everything. So if you get serious about this, expect spiritual warfare. Because Satan, he can't really do anything to you. He can mess with you. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So I want us to pray. And I want to invite you, those who want to come and pray. We've been doing this each week. If you want to pray for that one person, you come and you pray for them. If you want to come and say, I'm tired of being filled with me. I'm tired of being selfish. I'm tired of doing what I want to do. I'm tired of being, having the attitude that God's obligated to make me happy. I want to be a part of building God's kingdom. And so if, you're, if you want to take those steps and just be serious about it, just you can do it right where you're sitting or you can come and sit up here and just pray not to put on a show, not to sit around and look who's doing what, but uh, you get serious. And I encourage you to be with us next Sunday night. So we as a body, singular, can be together serious before holy God.